Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Law Enforcement Today Show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Many are using the term epidemic to describe the current problem of drug and or alcohol abuse in the United States. Virtually everyone we know has been negatively impacted by this problem. Yet for so many that are experiencing the devastating effects of drug and or alcohol abuse, they don't know who to turn to for help. Who can we trust to care for our loved ones? Transformations Treatment Center is one of the most respected, ethical, and professional drug and alcohol treatment centers in the world with a strong focus on individualized care, offering a wide range of holistic, specialized, and medically supervised treatment programs. We know that many of you have questions. Take the time to call Transformations Treatment Center for the answers. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725 or go online to transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from California, we have Chris Berg on the phone. Chris, thanks so much for joining us on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. Thanks very much, John. I appreciate the invite. Chris is uh, a retired law enforcement officer. He's also an author. He co-written a book called Night Police. Tell us about that book. Well, um, the night police uh, sort of came into being <laughs> probably 30 years ago. Uh, the fellow that I wrote the book with, he and I were beat partners. And uh, over the years, we both are writers. And over the years, we've been talking about the concept about how do we get the real voice of cops out there. And, uh, you know, we were sort of led down that path by Wamba when we were young, just Wamba. And we really appreciated what he brought to the table, but we sort of felt that there could be an even truer voice, and uh, that was sort of the genesis of it. So your book, Night Police, where can people get more information about it and buy the book? Uh, they can hit our website, nightpolice.com. Uh, also, we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. By the way, I was a big fan of Joe Wamba's books as a kid. And as a rookie yeah. police, I remember reading them. And one of the books that hit me the hardest was The Onion Field. And the movie about it really impacted me in a profound way. Because that one's based on, on a true story. A lot right. of his novels are, are fiction based on true characters and true experiences. Is that how you describe Night Police? Yeah, I would describe it as fiction based on true experiences. It's really uh, less of a novel and it's more of an anthology of linked stories but again it's uh it's pretty much true fiction if it's in there uh, it happened gotcha and by the way i don't know if any cop that that's worth their salt that doesn't think two things a i can open up an irish pub it'll be phenomenal and b <laughs> I, I should be an author and write a novel yeah i think you're uh, i think you're right you know, everybody talks about it when you're in the middle of the night and you got your cars parked 69 together and you're talking. Everybody wants to write. Paul and I, for whatever reason, just chose to actually do it. 
by the way, neither one of those are very easy to accomplish. I set out to try to write myself and never made it past the first page. And I gave up on the idea of opening the Irish pub a long time ago because I realized <laughs> I'd be married to that thing and it'd probably be horrible. You know, it might be. And I'll tell you, the process turned out to be a lot different than we expected. It was a lot of fun to do it, but there were parts of it we never saw coming. So as new authors, uh, it's been a kind of a wild ride for us. By the way, folks, just do a Google search for Night Police, the, the novel, and it's available on Amazon, and their website is nightpolice.com, co-authored by Paul Smith and Chris Berg. Chris, a bird's eye view of your law enforcement career from start to finish, please. Well, I started out uh, in the late 70s uh, in California. Uh, I was third-generation family to sign on as a lawman. And uh, I, like most guys, started out pushing a patrol car. For whatever reason, I gravitated towards a graveyard. That's, that fit me best, and I enjoyed that environment. I had a bunch of special assignments. Uh, I was an evidence technician, and that was way before CSI was a thing. I made it into the Bureau when I was still pretty young. And as a detective, uh, I had a lot of assignments in vice intelligence some general crimes assignments, uh, but when they sent me over to work narcotics, that was the fit for me. And uh, I, I just somehow really seemed to match well with that particular role. That was the most fun I ever had and where I felt like I was doing the most good. I remember gravitating towards narcotics work as well. And I, I, I remember Chris going to a family function in New York and I had a cousin who was married to a, a Nassau County Long Island police officer and another cousin who was chief police of a small agency in Long Island. And they said, what are you doing? And I told him, hey, I'm working narcotics. I'm assigned to blah, 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 district. And they're like, oh, my goodness, be careful because a lot of careers are ruined in that field. Me, I loved it. I, I, I loved every moment of it. But also, there's a lot of to it that, Hollywood doesn't really portray accurately, but there's a lot to that side of policing that's kind of disgusting. Well, it is. I mean, it's a, it's a difficult space, especially when you take uh, uh, a young pup like I was, uh, and I kind of grew up in white bread America, and uh, I had to figure out how to work uh, in the narco world. It was, uh, besides sort of mind-blowing, it was a challenge. And it, it took me a little bit, but uh, over time, uh, it just became the place where I had a, a great deal of comfort. And so the other part is I felt like I was doing some good. Yeah. You know, I have I have a debate with people, and uh, I'm sorry, but drugs in any form, they're just they're not victimless crimes. All you got to do is go up the food chain uh, to get that figured out. So, I agree uh, with you 100%. Me, you know, I've, I've had that conversation with many people. They say, hey, look, you know, I buy, I buy a little pot, and it, it really – and I don't really care. If someone wants to do that, that's fine with me. But one of the things they'll say is, before the whole legalization of, of marijuana swept across much of the United States, people say, hey, I buy a dime bag here and there, and, and who's it harming? And I explain to them, well, you know, you're putting money in the drug cartel's pockets in Mexico. When you see news reports about people being burned and shot and, and, and put in 55-gallon drums of acid to be dissolved by drug cartels, you're giving them money to do that. And they balk when i tell them that well you couldn't you couldn't have put it better or or more truthfully i mean that's exactly the case and i think what happens is 
we, you and I have the perspective of being able to look at it from a distance and sort of understand the, the full effects from the top of the food chain to the bottom. I think uh, users and I think especially influencers like, the, like Hollywood and the press, especially if a drug of choice is an issue, they're only seeing their little bit of the world. And, you know, I go out and I score my Coke and I come home and I party and life is grand. They don't see that greater world. And I think you and I have that, uh, the experience to, to sort of understand the big picture. There's also an extreme underbelly to this. It's just disgusting. Uh, it's very violent. Where there was drugs, there was guns. And where there was guns, there was a lot of violence. And I'm not talking about the big Hollywood films that you and I have seen. I don't think they're the reality or what's more of the common denominator are the drug gangs that run local neighborhoods, that ruin local neighborhoods, that are like a cancer. And uh, I'll just say this, but we've had areas of Baltimore where I worked where the people could not have their kids out on their front yard past four o'clock in the afternoon because the violence from drug gangs was just that bad. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today radio show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. We're talking with Chris Berg. This is the Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com. Click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today Podcast Network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu. Or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. Return a conversation with Chris Berg. Chris is a retired law enforcement officer and also one of the co-authors of the book, Night Police. Go to the website, nightpolice.com. Also, it's available on Amazon and all the places you would find books online. That's Night Police, and it's co-authored by Paul Smith, who is also on the Law Enforcement Today show. We were talking before we went to break, Chris, about working narcotics in, in law enforcement, and one of the things that, that people don't tend to get, and, and I don't blame them, it's they, they watch television, they watch TV shows, they watch movies, and they think that's reality. And they think everybody's undercover. Look, I'll be honest with you. I tried one undercover drug buy. I was horrible at it. They didn't sell me anything. I was a surveillance guy. I was a plainclothes guy. I was good at writing warrants and all these other things and crashing doors and doing raids. I was not that good at doing things like undercover or working informants. And we'll get into that part in just a moment. There's a big difference between 
undercover, plain clothes, and deep cover. Now, in your career, did you work all three of those or one or two? Uh, I actually, well, it sort of depends on how we define it. I definitely worked plain clothes. I did uh, unmarked uh, when I was in the patrol bureau, and I definitely worked undercover pretty deep. And the last four years or so, uh, I was completely under for that entire time. And, um, yeah, I guess the answer to that is a long way of uh, getting to it is, uh, I guess I did all of them. And the, the deep cover thing, that's something, I, I think of like Donnie Brasco. I think of films like that. And mm-hmm. w- while they are pretty accurate, they leave a lot, a lot's exaggerated. But one of the things that about these men and women that do deep cover work is I've never understood how they could pull that off and still have a family life because it is that is it that deep where they're not able to do that? Uh, well, you know, I think it really depends on the individual. I actually know a couple of guys, and I would say this is an exception. I know a couple of guys that work deep cover uh, that left with marriages intact and uh, families intact, but I know a lot more that did not. So I think a lot of that has to do on the individual, but it's a tough life to be a married person. And even in some organizations, they try not to bring new narcs into the system if they're going to be working deep uh, that are married and do have families just because there's so much that goes on that makes it difficult to sustain a family life. One of the things that happened in my career is we had deep undercover officers who I never knew they were police until they were on a job for 10 or 15 years. You, you never saw them around the headquarters building. You never saw them around districts. You just never saw them. They were doing something different and they could have been on a street corner and I'd have no idea. Yeah, that's that's part of the deal. Uh, you know, it's also part of the attraction for a lot of people to get into undercover work. But I, I can remember the first time when I was under, I'd go in, home and seeing my grandmother when she opened the door i had long hair and a beard and she thought of me as a you know driving a patrol car and she looked she couldn't figure out who i was and she just broke out in tears and she didn't want me to be that person and yet i wanted to be that person uh or have that persona but uh it is a life-changing event there's no doubt about it and you got to be all in. It's not one of those deals where you can do it kind of like uh, Monday through Friday, then on the weekends, you're grilling burgers with a family. It, it, it makes it tough. I mean, you know, you're going backtrack. I'm um, backtrack a little bit. The same things you said about the undercover people having successful marriages can be said about police work in general. I know a lot of people that maintained everything they had before they came on the job. And stayed that way. And then there are people like me who tried really hard, got married after being on the job for several years, that marriage did not work. And a lot of the reason why the marriage did not work was due to my inability to handle everything that came down the pike as well as I could have. And then other ones who within a couple of years on a job, it's like they were chasing strippers and other stuff and they were out of their minds. So that argument, I guess, could be made about all facets and aspects of, of police work. I think you're right. I think... There's there's another piece that's similar in basic police work as well as working undercover, and that is that fraternity that you build. The the guys that are working undercover, that fraternity is stronger than the fraternity of policemen, at least that's in my estimation. And it's because you're so isolated from 
your own department, often a family and uh, society. Uh, that fraternity gets so strong, a lot of undercover guys get married to that bond between themselves and under and other undercover guys, and it's it's different. I can only imagine. Like I said, I never I never did that part of the job. In your estimation, does Hollywood get that part right, or do they totally blow it? I, more often than not, I'd say they blow it. You see these versions of what undercover is supposed to be like, and uh, it's really not the case. You know, there, there's a lot of downtime and a lot of a lot of boring time interspersed with sheer terror and and uh, moments of great fear. Uh, but I don't think they generally get it right. You know, there there may be a movie here or there that's you know it had a, a couple of moments that were really on the money, but for the most part, it's Hollywoodized. It, yeah. it really has to do with why we wrote the Night Police to get the real voice out there. I, Hollywood doesn't get the real voice of policing, I don't think, very often at all. I don't think they do either. And to be honest with you, Chris, my wife and I, we've had this conversation many times. Uh, we've started watching a lot of BBC content on Netflix. And when I say BBC, when it, I'm almost never watched police-type shows anymore because they're so far from the truth. But I found that the BBC, the, the English, the Britisher, United Kingdom, whatever terms we want to use, they do a better job at telling the story of the individual officers and in, in a, a more accurate portrayal. For example, one of the scenarios that Hollywood always gets is they always have to have at least one character in any police movie and or series that is a drunk, he's popping pills, he owes child support to two wives, he never sees his family, uh, and, and he's got a horrible attitude. And while those people do exist, they're far from the norm. I think Hollywood operates best on stereotypes, and they operate on things that work. You look at a lot of movies that are remakes of older movies, they knew they worked once, they might as well work again. There's such a... There's such a financial risk to producing movies it's hard to find i think studios with the courage to put the truth the, the real truth on tv and will it even sell so th- that that's a great point we are talking with chris berg chris is a retired law enforcement officer he's also co-author of the book night police when we return we're going to talk about something that hollywood always gets wrong working with confidential informants and his experience with a confidential informant that we all came to know as Dirty John. Of all the radio stations in the United States, there's only one show like ours, the Law Enforcement Today radio show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. That's Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. When you get there, click like and follow. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Epidemic. America's public health crisis. These are all terms that describe the current problem of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States. Countless lives are lost and heartbroken families are too many to count. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives. Call 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center 
provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. And online at transformationstreatment.center. Return our conversation with Chris Berg, one of the authors authors of the book Night Police. You can go to nightpolice.com. Also, search on Google. It's available almost everywhere. Chris and his partner, Paul Smith, wrote this book. Chris is a retired law enforcement officer. Spent many years working narcotics. And we're talking about a lot, Chris, about how Hollywood gets this wrong. And, and a lot of people really don't have a clue. One of the things... That just drives me nutty. Well, there's several about Hollywood movies. One is, and I'm sure you're going to say, yep, any scene that used with police that uses semi-automatic pistols are always racking around in a chamber. I'm like, who who <laughs> runs around in uniform that doesn't have, have the gun loaded? That doesn't make sense, uh, number one. Number two, confidential informants. I've worked them. I know you worked them. One of the things that you always see on television always in the movies you're working a case you lock someone up and next thing you know there's a big brouhaha it's either fbi or atf or dea or your own detective saying he's one of our confidential informants you gotta drop the charges and i remember in my career locking up some people and they just magically vanished i never once had that scenario where it was a ci for another agency and they had a big showdown in the squad room never did you ever encounter that <laughs> No, I never, I never saw that either. I mean, I see it on TV all the time, but no, I never, never ran into that. Again, part of the how Hollywood seems to get it wrong. They do, and they get that whole aspect of confidential informants so wrong. And I, I think, I'll be honest with you, I found that to be one of the most disgusting parts of the job. And it got to the point, in my experience, Chris, where I didn't want to work a confidential informant, especially with narcotics. Uh, I'd rather do a trash run which we can explain later on maybe. I'd rather just do the surveillance. I'd rather do a lot of things because the whole confidential informant thing, a, a brief scenario, when we had to do a drug buy in Baltimore, our policy was you took the confidential informant into the office, you strip searched them, you made sure they had no drugs on them, no money, nothing. You gave them money to use. You photocopied that money. You can record the serial numbers. You watched them drop, dropped them off there, watched them go make the purchase, come back, take them to the office, strip them, get the drugs, and make sure there's no money, no drugs. And then when you did a raid, you, hopefully, if you're lucky, you got that money used for the buy as, as part of the seizure. Yeah, I'd say that's a, a pretty typical scenario. It probably wasn't quite the same way back when I was doing it. I suspect I'm a little older than you. Uh, we, we didn't quite have the same policies and procedures, but I know an awful lot of places do. So we we sort of had a different a different game plan with these guys. And the whole thought of just taking some guy off the street. And by the way, they, they, these confidential informants, they're not altar boys. They they don't live a clean lifestyle. You, you want to strip search them? Have at it, because I didn't like doing that one bit. 
No, I get that, John, definitely. You know, one of the things that always, and I was always fascinated working with snitches. Uh, I actually found it, I, I actually enjoyed that part of it. Uh, not every moment of it, believe me, strip searching would not be one of them. Uh, but one of the things that I really found fascinating was the motivation behind these guys, whether it be money, revenge, spite, sometimes retaliation, Sometimes it's to eliminate. Sometimes it's to eliminate competition. You said that uh, absolutely right. Get rid of the competition. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many different motivations. Also, something they never talk about in Hollywood generally is, you know, why would why would somebody put it all on the line, right? I mean, sometimes it's to work off a of beef. Yeah, I get that. But there's a lot of other reasons these guys become CIs, and it's it's something that a good narc, a good policeman ought to know up front, why is this guy so willing, you know, to put it out on the line like that? Yeah. We, we had people that we worked that over two years would be involved in 30 cases and you could take what they said to the bank. They were so reliable. Then you had other ones. It was just so much maintenance to, to <laughs> look, they call you. I need money. I need. Uh, I got thrown out of the house, or I got this problem going on, or I got arrested for shoplifting. Look, I can't help you. That was another thing Hollywood always got wrong. If you got arrested as a confidential informant, there's nothing we could do for you. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? That maintenance thing—that is probably the number one. I think from guys that work undercover, it's the it's the phone calls at four or five in the morning uh, that happen all the time. It's the the fact that they're you know duplicitous liars in almost every case, uh, you know fraud, fraudsters, blackmailers, whatever it is. We all need them when you're working in that world, but you've got to definitely maintain because otherwise they are going to screw things up for you every time. So, in your estimation, what would be the one thing that that you could tell America about working confidential forms that they get totally wrong? Well, I guess it would be the fact that, uh, you know, once they become an informant, they tell the truth. Because what actually happens is they're always lying. It's just a different kind of lying. And you have to be able to sort of weed the truth out of them. And that's how you balance your own safety. That's how you balance the safety of your of your you know coworkers every night. Is is this guy telling us the truth? You, you, for the most part, you assume no. Uh, but what can we take out of what he's saying that we can bank on, or at least as much as you ever can as a cop? Yeah, one of the things I try to tell people all the time is, is working confidential informant. If they came in and tell you something, most of them didn't have a track record of reliability, and but that wasn't enough to to go get a warrant and arrest people. You actually, we had to do a lot of things to verify that there was some truth to what they said. And people laugh at this, but one of my favorite tactics was, I don't know if they did this in California, but in the East Coast, in Maryland in particular, was the trash run. So if someone threw the trash out, threw the curb in the evening or the early morning, We'd sit there and wait for the trash truck to come up. And as soon as the trash truck came, we'd grab the trash and put it in the police car or on our car, take it to the office and go through it and look for evidence of drug activity. That was highly effective and was a lot simpler than working the confidential informants because of all the things you talked about. 
Absolutely. I mean, we did. Uh, we didn't have the exact same scenario often, but we would often we'd sit on a house that was getting a lot of activity, and have patrol take off the car coming out of that house, and then we would sit down with uh, whoever patrol pulled over, and generally they'd be holding dope, and we'd turn them around and take a, have them take us back into the house to make a purchase. And it would, sometimes it would happen over the course of an hour and a half. And that was sort of our version. Um, and because we had, we had to toss the first two cases out here to make a informant, uh, a confidential informant. The court wanted to see that you'd done two cases before they were going to file on any of them. So we did that often. It was kind of analogous to your trash run. And how, how confidential were they? Were they records that were recorded with your agency? Or is that kept in lock and key? Or is it just something you, you had under your belt? Well, it, you know, there was an awful lot of policy and procedure around working informants. But back in the late 70s and early 80s when I was doing it, there wasn't quite the oversight that there is today. So uh, I, I would say it was, a, it was a sort of a lot looser game plan. Uh, one of the techniques we used to use is we'd take a guy, like, like the scenario I just gave you, the guy was on the street, and you just met him, and yet you're going to go back into a house and buy dope with him. We'd pull him aside and get a patrolman, take your badge off and hand it to the guy, make the guy hold up the badge while you put your arms around him and take a few Polaroids. And then we would say, look, dude, if you if you're going to burn us out on the street, you can be sure we're going to be spreading these Polaroids around, and all your buddies are going to know that you were working with us. I mean, it was just a technique. It was a it was a way to stay safe back in the day. And I'm sure that worked very well. We are talking to Chris Berg. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We return. We're going to talk about the informant, later known as Dirty John, as a subject of a television series. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Did you know that 32% of Americans listen to at least one podcast a month and 22% listen to podcasts weekly? After episodes of the Law Enforcement Today radio show have aired, they're converted to podcasts. Do a Google search for Law Enforcement Today podcast and be sure to subscribe for free. Hi, this is John J. Wiley, host of the show. One of the questions I get all the time is where can I find new podcasts to check out? You can find podcasts from all genres posted daily on the Podcast Zone Facebook page. From established chart-topping podcasts to new up-and-comer podcasts, you can find them all posted at the Podcast Zone Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Podcast Zone. Look for the bright green profile image and be sure to click like and follow. And tell your friends about the Podcast Zone Facebook page. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. I'm John J. Wiley, joined by Chris Berg. Chris, retired law enforcement officer, also author, co-author of the book, Night Police. Get details of the book online at nightpolice.com. They're also on social media, all that stuff. And, of course, the book is available on Amazon. Uh, before we had a break, Chris, we were talking about working confidential informants and narcotics. And it's definitely a specialty field. And it was quite the rush, but... One of the terms I hear, phrases I hear all the time is that, and I forget there's a court case or several involving informants, and that when you're trying to arrest bad guys, 
hardcore criminals. You're not going to go to your altar boys and choir boys to try to get information. The people you're going to be dealing with, the, the informants, are usually the underbelly society, and they're right in that game, whether it be drugs, stolen cars, chop shops, weapons, whatever it might be. And that you got to use the worst of the worst to get the bad guys. There's no doubt about that. Sometimes they'll surprise you, but there's no doubt that uh, I would say the vast majority of snitches or confidential informants, whatever whatever term you choose, are definitely the underbelly. Not every case, for sure. You know, that's why they know, that's why they have information about a criminal enterprise, because they're involved and they're in it. And, uh, I mean, you just nailed it with that description. And some of them, by the way, like we talked about earlier, they have clear-cut motives why they want to do this, and revenge is quite often is a big, powerful part of it. And the other one is eliminating competition with drug dealers. A real quick story, I remember working uniform in a drug area, and I walked into a store that's very well-known for, for drug sales, and the guy held the door open for me, and he was a drug dealer I arrested several times. And I was in uniform, he said, by the way, Officer Wiley, the guy walking down the street just left here. He's carrying a yellow shopping bag. His name is so-and-so. He's got a three fifty seven Magnum in his bag, and he's here. He's from the east side. He wants to shoot somebody. So I wound up getting the guy, and he had a three fifty seven Colt Python revolver in there. Wound up arresting him. He was supposed to do time. He didn't do. And about a year later, he shot and killed a Baltimore police with the same type of gun. Uh, he was never put in jail like he was, but that was a clear-cut example of the bad guy who knew you gave you information, which led to another case. Yeah, I mean, again, I, that whole thing about what motivates CIs, I think, is really uh, is fascinating. You know, it's you know sometimes it's fear of their associates. Um, sometimes it's you know self-aggrandizement. It's it, it can be almost anything. And I know uh, that in the in the case we're we're going to talk a little bit about uh, that was a completely different desire, a completely different motivation, and maybe the only CI I've ever worked with that was motivated in such a way. His name was John Meehan, by the way, and a lot of people saw the television series Dirty John. I saw part of it. I watched it with my wife, and after a while, I was like, I can't watch this anymore. You worked him as a CI before that whole episode, correct? Correct, I did. What was his deal? Okay, so I'm not a doctor. Uh, A lot of people have asked me, was John a sociopath? Um, I I wouldn't say that, but I can tell you, he was definitely a narcissist. And uh, over the months that I worked with, John was an excellent, excellent informant for us. And we did many, many kilos of cocaine behind this guy. But his motivations were totally different than anybody else's I ever worked with. How so? The first night that I met John, a patrol had busted him, and I got a call in the middle of the night. Why they can't, why they can't arrest these guys at 11 in the morning, I don't know, but it always seemed like the middle of the night you'd get the call. I went in, I met John. When I first saw him in the holding cell, I thought, there's no possible way this guy's going to be a good snitch. I mean, he looked like a college student, all buttoned down, and buttoned down, and, you know, wearing, you know, his collegiate look. And uh, so when we sat down and we find, you know, it takes a while to sort of get into it. Why would you want to work with us? And patrol had flipped it really easy. And I said, 
John, you know, what is it you think you can do? He goes, oh, I can put you on to kilos right away. Which back in the day, a pound of cocaine was a lot. So a kilo really had my attention. And he said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I, can, I can do my best friend. So that's when the red flags go up. If you're a narcotics officer, you know, why would you possibly want to rat out your best friend? And he answered immediately. He goes, oh, I, I have no intention of going to jail. That was John. He was a narcissist. He was all about himself. And he had no intention of going to jail. And it didn't matter who he had to take down to make that happen. And those oftentimes can be the most troublesome, in my experience, because you have to take with a grain of salt everything you say, because we know they're working to save their hide. Oh, we, we worked with John for probably a solid six months, and he was working, my partner and I, incessantly all the time. He was constantly trying to get a leg up on us. It, talk about maintenance. That was a guy that took two of us close to full time to maintain uh, he was definitely out there. And now how many years did you work with uh, John, or what we call Dirty John now? Yeah, John Meehan was an informant of ours for probably just six or seven months. In that period of time, he put together more hand-to-hand dope deals of a big nature than any other informant I ever had. You know, back in the day when I was doing it, our informants very seldom bought the dope. They would just make an introduction, and the narcotics officer would would make the purchase. It was a better court case back in the day. We had that, too. One of the things that I wound up doing, I told you I was not good earlier in the conversation with the undercover stuff. There was something we would do where an informant would introduce an undercover officer, and one of our ploys that we do quite often is when you met with a dealer, we would have someone that that undercover officer pose as a gun seller as well. So, for example, a guy like me would come up and say, hey, by the way, I, I, hold on a second, I got to sell this guy a pistol. And then he would sell me his service revolver. And the, the bad guy, the drug dealer, would have no idea because none of us look like police. And like, well, if you're selling guns, it must be okay to sell you drugs. And plus, we got this informant that they knew vaguely from uh, buys before this thing is okay as well. Did you ever do stuff like that? We absolutely use that technique all the time. Sometimes it was having somebody in a bar slide a bindle of coke down the bar to you and doing a, a, a little dope deal in the bar so the bartender could see you were cool. Uh, I've, I've taken people into sting operations uh, and had a trunk load of typewriters in the back of my car that I got out of evidence and taken a crook in with me and sell them to the sting operation. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty universal technique and one that works. It's one of the things about policing that I love. They're so creative in what they can do and can't do. But one of the old things that was a big no-no was no matter what, we didn't didn't use. So if they offered to say, I'm not going to sell you unless you you try this first, well, we didn't make the buy. That's just the way it was. Yeah, and you know, there's uh, there's certainly... uh, uh, case law and legislation that says you, in the furtherance of an investigation you can. One of the things that I that I tell people is when you're a narcotics detective, you see where this dope comes from, and uh, you see how it gets made. And I don't know a lot of guys that wanted to stick whatever that was in their bodies. No, so, absolutely not. And no. the people that we're dealing and, with were not the cleanest in the world. Before we run out of time, uh, where can people get more information about your book, where they can buy it, et cetera, et cetera? 
Yeah, so it's right now it's on Amazon. Uh, we have a Kindle promotion going on at the moment, so you can buy it at thenightpolice.com, uh, and it's thenightpolice.com, and uh, you can see uh, it on Facebook as well as Twitter and Instagram. So it's out there. It's pretty easy to find. Always do a Google search for Night Police or The Night Police. Chris Berg, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. John, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today Podcast Network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. We've got another great guest in your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.